Oh yeah, baby. January 29th, Throughline Podcast. Jay Larson here. It's a beautiful day. Whether it's raining, snowing, or the sun is out, it's a beautiful day because it is a Throughline Podcast. What's up, everybody? Uh, that's a cool little beat there from my friend Richard Auburn Sindri Trap. Uh, known that guy for a long time from in living in Venice, and uh, I was like, "You got any beats? I want to mix it up every once in a while." So he threw that beat. Let's hear it. I promise I won't swing. I won't sing. Um, anyway, he's got a great band. They're going to be playing out in, at South by Southwest. I'll get some details if anyone's going to be out there. He's awesome. He's an MC. That's he does all kinds of stuff. He's super talented. He used to be in this fifty-piece hip-hop orchestra called the Ka, and it was like full strings, full brass, percussion, MCs, DJs, guitar. It was crazy, and it was like an amazing. You know, it's just like. It was really hard for them to keep it together. There was a lot of moving parts in that in that band, but they were something to see. Anyway, I love Rich and I love his music. How's everybody doing? Uh, I'm so glad, so much. Thank everybody out there for all your response about last week's episode with Christella Alonzo. She's such an awesome person and such a such a cool story. And uh, I was so happy to have her on the podcast. And as I was listening to it, I was like, how do I tie that through to next week? And uh, I think I found an angle and we were talking a lot about like when she was young, she wanted to be an actress and she had her heart set on it and trying to get into child acting. And anyway, this week's guest did some child acting of his own and that's how we're going to connect these two together. I'll get to that in a second before I do. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Make sure if you're not subscribed, if you're just listening through a friend, go over to the iTunes page, Throughline podcast at Starburns industries and subscribe rate review share it with friends let them know like oh my god do you did you like cars three listen to this podcast go subscribe because it's it's the only way we keep growing um as always on twitter and facebook and instagram jay larson comedy go over to the the facebook fan page that's where i'll be posting things about the uh the podcast and different guests and when we start to build a little more and get some other things going on uh that's where it's all going to be going down is on the facebook fan page through instagram and my youtube channel jay larson as well um and for all of you that came out to my uh, prank show at the uh, Belly Room at a comedy store last week, I love you so much. Uh, Word Up on uh, Instagram made me some amazing um, coasters for The Office that uh, I put them up on Instagram and uh, super cool. Give him a follow. He makes some cool stuff. I love the fact that some dude is just making tile work. You're just doing tiles, dude. Yeah, I just decided to make you these things. Who's doing pottery like in college? Just people never cease to amaze me. That's what I love about people. They're just like, you can judge someone on looks. You can. You would look at this dude and you'd be like, there's no way this dude's doing pottery. Yeah, he is. While he's going to school. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and it's what I, I love about people is getting to know them and I love being proven wrong. Um... This week's podcast, as always, brought to you by Huckberry.com, an independent online retailer for guys and gals who live in the city but live for adventure. Over a million young active professionals trust them as their leading resource and retailer for emerging brands, gear, and lifestyle inspiration. I say it every week. I, I love this website. 
I think it's such a great uh, brand. I, I mean, brand is such kind of carries a negative connotation, but right now I'm wearing these. If you have kids, you know about native sneakers. They're the super light sneakers, and they're great for kids. You slip them on and off. And I didn't know they had adult sneakers, and then they had them at Huckberry. And uh, I'm gonna let you know right now they're on. Sale. They're like 50% off. So I got a pair. I got them on right now. They're gray. They slip right on. They're like literally. I, I mean. I could, I'd could, i say they weigh a pound, but that might even be too much. But they're super comfy, and I love them to death. Uh, so many great things. I got some I got some dope socks on here, you guys. I don't know if you're into socks. But if you get a good pair of socks and you put them on, you're going to be like, Jesus Christ, these are the best socks I've ever had in my life. Call, send out the alarms, baby. Let everybody know. Um, but Huckberry's got great stuff. I told you before I got an axe. I'll be working in the yard on Saturday, and I'm going to get my backyard done, and then I'll have the fire pit going, and then that axe, baby. I think I'm going to order a quarter wood, and I'm going to chop it up. If you've never chopped wood before, get involved in the world around you and get a quarter wood and buy an axe and start chopping. You will feel unbelievable. You'll be like, oh, man, why, do, why am I not? Why do I belong to a gym? I could just chop wood all the time. And then you'd be like, yeah, but then how do I burn all this wood? And you're like, well, you have fires outside and you invite friends over and you build community. And you're like, yeah, but how many fires am I going to have, Jay? And you're like, I don't know, bro. You ever had a fire during the day? <laughs> fires during the day. Almost as good as candles during the day. Candles are inside. Fires more outside. Unless it's cold. That's why I was saying at the top of the top of the episode. It's a beautiful day out. And you guys might be in snow or rain wherever you are. I don't care. It could still be a beautiful day. It's one of my favorite things to say to the kids. I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful day today. And they'll be like, it's raining. I'm like, doesn't mean it's not beautiful. Just find it. Find it, baby. That's what Christelle Alonzo was about all last week is finding positives inside negatives. It's so great. It's so great. Um, so go over to Huckberry.com. And I will say this for all of you out there listening, 15% discount for all new customers with the code ThruLine, T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E. Put in that code at checkout. You got 15% off. It's such a great little bump to go get some cool stuff. And it's like you can go over there and buy candles. You can buy – I got my Huckberry mug right here. I bought this mug from them. It's like a trailer pulling a trailer, pulling a ski-doo, pulling a, a motorcycle. And they're all made like 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 a kid would have them. And I got it. And my wife was like, uh, you get that for Reed? It's my son. I'm like, no, I got that for me because I like it. And I still want to be a boy as well. Um so i am a boy january is almost over yeah believe it because it's true 29th <laughs> can't believe it um i am in maryland this weekend at magoobies here's the deal anyone out there that wants to come to a show i'm gonna see about if i can't get you all in for free Every one of you. So if you're listening, you deserve it email me holidaybakeryproductions at gmail.com and let's all aim for a night. I'm thinking early show Saturday or Thursday night. Early show Saturday or Thursday night. Those are the two nights I will give tickets to anyone who emails me. You can bring 10 people. Bring 10 people. Bring 15 people. Doesn't matter to me. Come to Magoobies. It's going to be great. Hit me up Thursday night or early show Saturday. And Holiday Bakery Productions at Gmail. Bring friends. Bring family. Make a night of it. Um... And then we're getting into February. My birthday. The Patriots play for the Super Bowl. My birthday. I don't care if you're not a Patriots fan. Don't tell me about it. It's not a big deal. I get it. I wouldn't be either. Okay? I wouldn't be either. It's still going to be a great day to watch the Super Bowl on your birthday. When they started this run of 
winning uh they won on my birthday the first time so um, before I get into this week's guest, I will let you know upcoming episodes with Ira Glass, who created This American Life on NPR. It's one of the best storytelling shows that you can listen to. So many cool, interesting stories. He's coming up. Um, Dan Harmon, the creator of Community and Rick and Morty coming up. Um, Brian Callen coming up and uh some other great episodes i got some great episodes pre-recorded justin willman who i think is amazing magician if you're not watching magic for humans on netflix go get involved um so those are some things coming up i appreciate all of you listening and again subscribe to the places that you need to subscribe so you can keep up and let's get into this week's episode this week uh Tim Dillon is my guest. Tim Dillon, if you don't know who Tim Dillon is, he's a stand-up comedian from... Uh, wait, before I do that, before I do that, sorry, guys. February 23rd, I'm at the Hollywood Improv, headlining, doing about 30 to 40 minutes. Hollywood Improv. So go to hollywood.improv.com, February 23rd, Jay Larson night. Go get tickets now. Go get tickets now. I'm going to try and get a code to get some discount tickets out there for everybody. And uh, again, bring friends. Pack the house. I want to have a blast with you guys. Nothing means more to a stand-up than performing for people who are there for them. Because a lot of people just go and like, I want to go see comedy. But when you guys go for people that you care about, that's when it's the best. You know, That's when I can do more crowd work, improvise, do some new material that no one else has heard. It like makes it more of a special night. So please, hollywood.improv.com. I will get a link. I'll get something. I'll find a way to make it uh, good for everybody to come out. So I want to say that. Uh, and then I want to mention my boy Tim Dillon. Uh, super great guy. Uh, my friend Ben Avery introduced us, and he's just awesome. I love him to death. On Twitter, he's at Tim J. Dillon. Uh, I believe it's the same on Instagram. He's a great dude, super funny, and uh, he had so many great podcasts. The way we did this initially is we listened to it. I mean, we recorded it at my house, and uh, I'm a dummy. Yeah, Tim J. Dillon on Instagram. Um, I'm a dummy, and I didn't... I only had one mic on. And Ben, who my friend who was introduced us, who was also working for me, I don't think he had checked the mics. So it's not on him. It's not on me. But, I mean, I put it on him. You know what I mean? If I'm going to put it on anyone, why am I going to put it on me? You know what I mean? Anyway, he's got a special on the comedy lineup on Netflix, Comedy Central special, Rolling Stone comic you need to know. He's awesome. I love him to death. So he comes out to L.A. a lot. And we sat down a second time over here at my office and we talked about a bunch of stuff. He's got a great story on this podcast. So why am I even talking about it? Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Dillon. Uh, what's up, buddy? Hey, how are you? We're doing this again for the second time. This is a beautiful morning here in Santa Monica. It's noon now. It's noon. 12.15. The day gets away from you here. It just <clears throat> floats. It does, man. It's not New York. There's all these, I feel like... There's just more focus on time. Well, it's it's more evident. I used yeah. to say that like when I moved here, the seasons will let you know, hey, have you done anything this year? <laughs> have you done anything? Yeah. Like when spring is rocking, you're like, all right, let's get some stuff going. And the summer comes like, got to get this done before summer. Summer's ending like, hey, we got to do, we got to go on some trips. We got to go this. We got to be more active. And then, yeah. you know. Well, that's the whole thing. And I, I have a joke about about Instagram. It's like in the summer, you can tell who's been successful throughout the year. 
totally. because you can tell where they're going. You know, in the summer, it hurts to not have friends. Yeah. In the winter, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. It's cold. I just want to go home. In the yeah. summer, you're like, man, I'd like to be in the Hamptons. I'm like, I know some friends. I wish I had a successful friend. Yeah. You know, with totally. a boat. That's. I have to do like the reverse yeah. here with our kids. Like every day is so nice out. Like my wife, one day she was like, "What should we do with the kids today?" I'm like, "You know what we're gonna do with the kids today?" She goes, "I go, we're gonna stay in." She goes, "It's beautiful out." <laughs> I'm like, "It's beautiful out every day." Yeah. If we lived in in Massachusetts or New York right now, because my wife's from New York, we'd be. We'd be in. Yeah. We'd be like bundled up, baking in the kitchen, music on. Right. Heat blasting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I went to buy a bathing suit the other day, and the woman's like, we don't have any bathing suits. And I'm like, why? She goes, we have them in the summer. I'm like, it's 75 degrees, you know? We're here? Yeah. It's true. I was like, what summer? There is no summer. There is no, see, you, you, you know. We love going to the beach in the winter here. Yeah. I love going to the beach in the winter back east, too. Right. And, uh. You'll see see people like in the winter like jumping in. You're like, oh, they're visiting. Right. There's, there's no way. <laughs> like all the time at the comedy store. One of the things I love about the store yeah. is that so many tourists go there. Right. And so many like locals go there. Yeah. So you'll see someone in shorts and I'll be like, where are you visiting from, man? And they'll be like, oh, Nebraska. And I'm like, yeah. And, then, and I go, you know how I know? And he's like, why? I'm like, you're wearing shorts. You see anyone else wearing shorts? Right. And then LA people are like, yeah, why the fuck is that guy wearing shorts? Yeah. Like, it's nighttime. Right. And it's like 58 degrees. Dude. Right. Yeah. Whereas in Massachusetts, if it was 58 degrees in December, yeah. everybody would be in shorts playing right. frisbee. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But you guys, you act as if you have seasons, even though you don't. You do have, yes. you know, you have uh, shifts in temperature. Yes. Yeah. Shifts. But not in mindset, which I like. It's one mindset yeah. here. That's right. Forever. It's an it's like an interesting city to spend time in because you're like the thinking never changes. Yeah, that's a good point. Doesn't you know? Doesn't matter what happens. Fires, the place could be on fire. Doesn't matter. Same mindset. New York is like that though, to an extent. You know what I always say about New York? I just say New York doesn't give a shit about you. Does nine eleven happens? Nine yeah. twelve still going. Right. Still going. Yeah. Didn't stop. Yeah. You know, that city will just always keep moving. LA right. at least slows down for you. Yeah. Sundays, people actually enjoy. Well, New York, I've always said this about people in New York, especially in comedy. New York, it is it's much easier to fool yourself into thinking you're doing well. Because, in New York? Yeah, because there's a lot of activity. Yeah. So when there's a lot of activity, you don't have to sit back and analyze what's going on because you're just thrown into the mix of like, I'm doing a lot of shows and I'm on a show with somebody who's really funny and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And the overall vision of what you want to do or where you want to go kind of gets lost in New York because New York's such a big deal to just be in the mix of people doing something. LA, I think, because there's less activity. Yeah. You kind of have to sit back and go, wait a minute, what what am I missing? What do I need to do? And how do I proceed? And yeah. if I don't have those answers, it's going to get real dark real quick. Even It could be 80 degrees and sunny, but it's going to get real dark real quick because you don't have... New York becomes a character in your life, like as a city. Yeah, and all sure. You know, and you could just kind of like you're in... You know, LA, I feel like is less of that. And there's more of a focus on like you really if you're not doing great here, you know, you can oh, yeah. feel it. There are people in houses that are literally on cliffs looking down on you 
Like <laughs> L.A. is set up well, to New make you feel. Buildings looking down, but it never feels like that because those people, even their millionaires, you go to their apartments, still taking the subway, and you're like, you're still taking the subway, and a lot of their apartments, you're like, you know what, that person's quality of life and my quality of life are certainly different. It's not as striking as you would imagine. Yeah. You'd be like, that apartment's actually not. You know, to have a, a, a an apartment in New York that's jaw-dropping, yeah. you have to spend millions and yeah, millions of dollars. Top of the top. So you'll go to an apartment that's two or three million bucks, and you'll be like, yeah, this is nice. But you're like, all right, you know, I got a bed. Yeah. What, who cares? But here, the difference is you're, you're looking at a house of somebody and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, yeah. they're gated. There's gated communities here. That's really not a big deal in New York. It's not a thing. Here, you, people lock themselves away behind gates and they're like, you can't even, you can't even, we don't even want to see you on the way to the thing we're doing. We don't even want to. We don't even want to know that you exist. But it's also a city that's built around a car. You know what I mean. So yeah. you have to be driving. It's not like now we have a train, but still, who the hell you is you do it more for the experience than anything? Yeah, not everyone. People d depend on that train. Yeah, you know, they just like they depend on buses. You yeah, know? but it's like definitely like a class system is in place as far as transportation. Oh in yeah, L.A. versus New York. Everyone. Everyone is taking the well, subway. Well, it's funny every now and then people talk about how progressive New York and LA are, and then somebody will have to remind them, like, yeah, both of these are cities built built on nightmares, like yeah. inequality that's unimaginable. Yeah. They're built on the crushed dreams of human beings. Yeah. You know, someone, someone Instagram, some like famous basketball player, like Instagram himself. He took the train to like his basketball game the other day. Yeah, and he was like in town for the game, and like, yeah, I took the train. Yeah, and it's just like, how badass are you? <laughs> You're going to an NBA basketball game right now. Yeah. It would be like going to do Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Like, do you think Sebastian took the train right. to Madison Square Garden for his yeah. show? Well, there's a whole no genre way. now of like entertainment where it's like, look at famous people doing regular things. Jimmy Fallon will go to the Olive Garden in Times Square, and that's a bit on his show. And I'm like, why is that a bit? Yeah. You're doing what people from Ohio, Ohio do. do. Yeah. That's no the bit. Look at me behaving like a pig with Post Malone. We're going to go to the Olive Garden and have the tour of Italy. Yeah. Like regular people. Yeah. You know, like regular people that go bankrupt when they have a disease and get convicted of crimes. Those regular pigs. But the thing is, he's doing that to try and be a regular person. Yeah. Whereas, like, this is what I loved about Sandler's special. Did you watch? Yeah. Fresh. Great. Not once did he ever mention being a millionaire. He never mentioned right. a famous person. Nothing. Yeah. He talked about Uber drivers. He talked about yeah. everything that we're all going through. And you're like, oh yeah, that guy's worth over a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah. But yet he's that dude's just a regular guy. He got. He gets. He gets. He gets it. Um, Long Island. Long up. Island. That's what, the spot. What's the deal? People like if you didn't grow up in Long Island, do you exist? Are you fair alive? question? Yeah. Um, it just seems like you always like hear trash about Long Island, Staten Island, but yet it's like a beautiful. Well, isn't it the Hamptons? Isn't so what Long Island thing? is, and the reason that people hate Long Island, and the reason that they're right to hate it, and um, this is actually. You know, we just did a pilot with Comedy Central. And I had Nick Mullen, who's a really, really funny guy. He's a friend of mine. He, you know, me and I had him as a writer on the show. And we were kind of digging into this. And I think what it really is is like. Is he from there? No. he. I forget where Nick grew up. But 
uh, I, it's not Long Island. I want to say like Maryland, but he knows about Long Island. You know, he's performed there, and he get you know. And I think really what it is like one of the jokes on the show is it's like, you know, it's we're showing you how far you can go with you know this the the proximity to stat you know the proximity to New York City, but like the reading level of Staten Island, you know, yeah. because Long Island kind of appropriates the confidence of New York City for no reason 100%. for no reason yeah. i mean there's there's literally no meaningful uh reason that somebody living on a marsh plagued with heroin addiction yeah why okay? is that isn't it like beautiful country like isn't it like beach towns and like it's not that beautiful number one there are parts of it that are beautiful but like everything else is parts of it that are neglected and um i think there's the people in long island built it it was constructed in a very racist way like all the suburbs the the parkways are built so that public buses can't go on them so that you know you basically had the white middle class and working class in this bubble and it's post-world war ii bubble and they all kind of and they basically kept kind of everybody out and a lot of wealth in Long Island as is a lot of places is inherited and passed down and people you know inherit the house that their mother owned Mm -hmm. and they don't pay any money for it and then they start immediately as soon as they inherit a free home they start bitching about the taxes they have to pay these tax I can't believe these taxes and and what they don't realize is they're kind of beneficiaries of government welfare in another way that their parents because they were like white were able to get these preferential loans to buy these homes and now they're like inheriting these homes but everyone in Long Island is proud of everything for no reason whether they've done it or not they're proud they love it they got the best food the best you know as a comedian who made a great point he's like if you go out and do a joke in Long Island and they don't like it it never crosses their mind that they didn't get it never (laughs) they're right you're wrong doesn't matter how famous you are. doesn't matter how accomplished you are. So you're dealing with that level of confidence that comes from being in that bubble. Now, do they carry that confidence outside of Long Island or is it only Oh, yeah. And yeah. They, but they don't leave Long Island, so they don't have to. I know. They go to Disney World once a year and they torture people that, uh, you know, work in the Wilderness Lodge or wherever the hell they're staying. Yeah, totally. And then they, you know, that's it. I mean, that's pretty much... What they do, they never leave Long Island because, you know, and I talked to my friend, I'm like, why don't, you, why don't you think anyone ever gets out of here? And he's like, do you know how many jobs I've gotten because of my mother's friend? Yeah. That's like Long Island. He's like, I don't even know who this yeah. woman is, yeah. but my mother's friend can get you a job in Long Island. Like people look out for each other in in this way because a lot of it is very local and people that have grown up, you have these relationships that have been established for years. People get county jobs, government jobs, you know, and uh, they don't want to leave because they're in this bubble and they're like, we've earned it. We worked our asses off for this. And the, the reality is they just woke up. Yeah. They were born there. They woke <laughs> up. I know. That's all they did. I love that backwards pride. Though. Yeah. They love knowing everybody. They yeah. Love every, but then they'll complain that everyone's talking about their own thing. But there's things about it that are nice because there's things about local communities that are cool. It's the best. I always tell people when I go on yeah. the road, they'll be like, they'll come up to me like, it's God so cool what you do, man. What an amazing thing traveling. I'm like, dude, what you're doing is my dream. Right. Staying in one town, being the place, knowing everybody, being at your family's house on Sundays for dinner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I I bet you drive through Long Island and kids are like playing in the front yard with their cousins on well, Sundays. Well, not anymore. They're on Facebook and they're <clears throat> shooting up. But yes, at one point. Is heroin huge there? Huge. Why? Huge. Listen, because people have not come to grips with the reality 
that being an average, mediocre, middle of the road person, well, no, it's not going to do it anymore. You're not going to have a house with a picket fence and two weeks of vacation and health care by just kind of loafing around. It is tough. And especially, we've told a whole generation and of why people. Why are you yelling at me right now? I'm sorry. I'm getting. I'm starting to run for Congress in Long Island. <laughs> Do you feel it? The Long Island's coming out of me. But no, I mean, so you have a lot of people that are like disaffected. They're young. They, you know, they watched their parents maybe lose their house in the mortgage crisis, or they watched, you know, their brother go off to Iraq and he came back and he's fucked up. And, you know, they've watched the Catholic Church, you know, an institution crumble. And I mean, they're they're like, you know, they're kind of all of their belief systems, the things they grew up believing in. All of this authority has kind of disappeared, and then they're in this time, and they're it's it's just pure chaos. Yeah. So you look for something to kind of, and unfortunately, you have opioids, you have drugs, you have alcohol, you have all these things that allow you to escape from the reality that you're in. Yeah, it's crazy. It's because there should. Be. I also think that you know, with Facebook and social media, you're constantly on there looking for a better life or seeing people put forth their best life. Right. And which is never a true example of what is really going on in someone's life. It's just what they want the world to think. So they're looking at it. And if that's why I feel like social media is just such a depressing, empty place. Yeah. Because you're on there, people putting their best foot forward or their best representation of how their life is. And then people looking at it and they're getting upset because they're because they're when you're looking at it, you're never looking at it from the POV of the what you want the world to see. Right. You're being real. Like, uh, I don't own a home. I rent yeah. a home and I don't have a nice car or I don't have family or yeah. I don't have a great job or I haven't been on a vacation. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, like the, the, it was never like that. Well, the things that work online don't work in life. And this is actually something that I've discovered. A hundred percent. Being a snarky person online is huge it will get you legions of followers people that just want to sit around and hate things all day every day but if you met that person in real life and they exhibit those qualities you really don't want to be around them you don't want to be around somebody who's negative 24 7 who's snarky who's obsessed with kind of minutia that doesn't matter which again online it's great it's great if you're obsessed with things that uh, you know, are are completely irrelevant because this is the you know it needs constant grist for the mill. But if you had a friend like that, I mean, just read a Twitter timeline. Can you imagine your friend? If somebody, that's why when you meet a lot of these comedians or a lot of the people that have like big social media followings, they're kind of autistic. They don't really make eye contact with you. They're kind of staring off to the side. They're very uncomfortable being in real life. They don't want it. They want to go back in the box. They're like, no, I want to be on Twitter. I want to be in a world where nobody's real. Nothing's real. I don't have to look in the face of someone I'm talking to. I don't have to. Which is why we're getting closer and closer to a virtual Oh, yeah. And people love it. And if you tell people to get offline, they're like, hey, log off and do something like if you go to any of these people who fancy themselves activists and you go, hey, have you ever gone to like a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter? They'll look at you like you're out of your mind for suggesting that. Yeah. They'll be like, what? No, I I tweet, man. I I go out there and carry the banner of my ideas and, you know, in this forum that's, you know, ultimately meaningless, you know? Yeah. Do you miss, do you miss like, so wait, you're 30, I'm 33, 33. And I'm glad that I grew up 
You barely got through growing up without the internet. Yeah, but I was kind of late to it because at, at about in about eighth grade we started getting like America Online Instant Messenger, like yeah, I AIM. Remember. Yeah. Um, ninth grade, really, like it really, but it wasn't a factor in my life until I already graduated high school. So it was, I did not go through high school with social media, which I think is very interesting. And then even college, I mean, I dropped out of community college, but like the high school experience with social media yeah. is a much different thing. Oh my God. God, it's yeah. a much different not thing. Not only that, I remember when I was in college, that's when instant, we just had this thing and it was like almost like a college interface. It was like DOS. It was just a black, black screen where you go into this messenger thing and you would have to like, you wouldn't know if anyone was online. Like I had a friend that went to this school in Massachusetts and I would have to like put in her like login thing or her like at whatever it was and just be like, hey, are you there? You know what I mean? You didn't know. Right. Um, what would you what was the kind of things you were doing as a kid then? Well, I was a wild kid. I was a child actor. I started acting at six years old. My mother, Shut your goddamn I said to my mother, I pointed to the television and I said, I want to be on TV. At six, you know, I mean, you probably got into the business late, and I don't judge you for that. It's whatever. But hold on a second, what's going on here? Well, you know, you 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 probably got in what age? Twenty four. Okay, fine. So I knew at six where I was going. Yeah, clearly. Okay, man. and uh, so six, I said to my mom, like, I want to be on TV, and my mother was like, okay, and I would always like. Was anyone in the family involved in? My dad was a musician. <clears throat> so what kind of music? He was played music. He had a big band on Long Island, that you know, and I know that it was kind of a well respected band because he doesn't really talk about it as much but other people will come up to me at comedy shows and be like was your dad in like full circle I mean they were just like a local band that yeah. people really liked and he had me and I ruined that dream I'm sure and he you know he started working at Pitney Bowes selling office equipment you know I mean it's a Long Island story it's tragic you know sure. and so it sounds like a Billy Joel song oh it is I'm sure it is <laughs> you know and um and my dad would play weekends. Like I grew up with him as a musician. He'd play out weekends, local bars, things like that. He had a studio in the house. And so he was a creative person. And then my, my mother was just somebody I think who loved music. I think that's why they got together and she loved theater. And she was like, I was a kid that would like, now it's kind of cringeworthy when like I look at videos of myself. Cause I was always a kid that was like putting on a show. I can't even imagine demanding attention. Like and and that's the thing you like you look back at it and you're like God what a loser, like this kid who's like look at me yeah. in the middle of Christmas like it's not enough Christmas isn't enough yeah. for me <laughs> I need a show I need everybody to look at me and I'm a kid at this point I don't know anything about myself other than the fact that I need validation from people and I used to love family parties because I'd be like um, let's put on a show yeah so I I really want so at six I'm like I want to be. Uh, on TV and my mom's like well that's okay but you know maybe we'll get you in a play so we but went first of all isn't it crazy though that you've now been on TV a bunch of times and that's what you wanted to do at six uh, most yes. six year olds are like I want to be a baseball player I yeah. want to be a, a judge yeah. uh, you know and like how many of them are doing exactly what they said at six that's pretty right. crazy right no I mean that is that I, mean, is I know a... it's kind of thinned out a little bit recently <laughs> for you <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say what I really want to do is just talk to that six year old and say sit down you know this isn't love yeah. these people don't love you yeah um 
but my first play was at uh, Farmingdale in Long Island had a community theater group, which was about 45 minutes from where I grew up. Everything in Long Island is an hour away, and everybody drives. Nobody cares, because what else are we doing? That's in Long Island? In Long Island. So it's pretty it, big. Long Island's 118 miles long, and yeah. it's about 38, 40 miles wide. Gotcha. Just to give you an idea, Manhattan's eight miles long and two and a half miles wide. Yeah. Long Island is the lo- longest contiguous like island, you know. So like the things you would do, like I, you know, I went to school an hour from, I went to Catholic school in high school. That was an hour away. Some of my best friends live 45 minutes away from my house and you would just, you drive. That's what you did. Yeah. You know? Um, so that was my first play. I was Chip the Teacup in Beauty and the Beast, Farmingdale, community, uh, Farmingdale, like, you know, community theater group and, uh, I still remember How many the other kids tried out, do you know? I don't know, but I remember that my first line, like you had to read, the table read, mm-hmm. and I went in and I was six, and I remember the first thing I said, I forgot what I said, but I remember the entire room went, oh, because I guess it was cute. Yeah. And I remember that feeling. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm I'm in this. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing stuff. Fuck, I'm the goddamn teacup, baby. And then I mean, and then from there, it was like a lot of other plays. I did Sesame Street twice, you know, danced. The show? Yeah, danced with Snuffleupagus, did the polka with Snuffy, did, uh, I'm trying to think what else I did. That's amazing. Yeah. You're in, you were on Sesame. I mean, it was wild. The, yeah. The people must have been going nuts. It's an you. iconic program. Um, Yes, people were happy. I mean, it, it doesn't pay. Here's the thing: when you're a child actor, hold on a second. Doesn't if, pay. If you were eight and you were saying that, I would be losing my mind. Well, here's the deal. That's great. You were in Sesame. It's not paying anything. Uh, here's you know the reality: I mean? really, it's public television. It doesn't pay any money. And when your kid is a child actor, you're hoping. And listen, I used to sit in rooms next to Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah. On auditions, okay. Yeah. And that guy was getting everything. Like, there's clearly hitting it when you're younger you're like oh some people can hit it big yeah even a national commercial back then you're talking 50 60 thousand back then yeah i know huge money and like that would have alleviated my parents debt that would have completely changed our life i thought when i was like seven or eight i'm like oh by the time i'm in my teenage years i'll be living in la and I'll be a star like one of the kids on the cover of these magazines yeah i'll be that guy well we all know that things don't you know, tend to. So fast forward, I'm 11 and a half. I just got cast as little Jake in uh, the national touring production of Annie Get Your Gun. Ethel Merman impersonator Rita McKenzie is headlining. Glenn Yarbrough, who had a band called the Lamplighters, is in the, uh, he's playing her opposite. Uh I am on a tour bus. We are driving through the Bible Belt of Florida. On the way to the next gig, we drive about eight hours a day on a bus. This was a two and a half your month. your mom with you? Yeah, sitting right next to me in the bus. Two and a half month tour. Different show every night. About seven or eight hours of driving every day. You know, we went up to Canada, down to Florida. Whole Holy eastern seaboard. shit. Okay? Um, I'm sitting on the bus. I'm 11. It's a big deal. Rita is like bombed. She's drunk. She trashed her hotel room. She's like screaming. Um... The manager goes in. We're all sitting on the bus ready to leave. We're in some god-awful... Is it like a real tour bus with beds? Oh, uh, no. It's just a big coach bus <laughs> with nice seats Got and it. whatever. Yeah. And um, Rita gets on the bus and, you know, she's been cried her mascara off. She's upset about something. I don't know. I'm fucking 11, 11 and a half. And I'm sitting there and all these people are... We're all waiting for her and then she gets on the bus and then 
we just start to pull out of this parking lot of Holiday Inn in like Lakeland, Florida. And it was just eerily silent as we just headed down the road. And I'm, and then I just had this moment. I went, oh, this is what it is. Like I had that moment where I'm like, there is no way from here to Hollywood. Like I'm on this bus. Florida, maybe. That's it. Like I'm going down this road and I'm looking out and I see crosses on how I'm like, I'm like, wherever I am now, this doesn't end in Hollywood. It's just something happened. We went off course. I don't know where. I don't know what. (laughs) I don't know what I did, but this isn't. So when I got back. paid though? Again. These things do not. These are all resume. You know the way it is. That has to looks be a, great on the resume. Yeah, of course. Looks At great least on it's the a resume. A little bit of money, and if your mom has to go with you, then she's, you know, clearly they think it's worthwhile. Sure, but you know, at the end of the day, so after that, I stopped acting. Oh, really? Stopped acting. I was yeah. done. That was a lot. It was Burn very intense. Burned out at you know eleven and a half, and then I, <laughs> you know, I, I got home and I discovered uh, you know drugs and uh, you know the other the other you know. Do you? And I'm being dead serious. Here. Yeah. Do you think there was an emptiness in you? Yes. From not having that buzz of performing and the attention. Yes. And you use drugs to fill it. Because Absolutely. I know as a comic, when you get off stage a lot of times or you don't have a show or you go home, yeah. you're like, where is it? You know, what is this? And I then- had heard the word no from six till 12 thousands of times. Oh, yeah, man. I'd heard the word no. Yeah. I got like second. I think I got close to Grace under fire. I was like second or third callback. And then they were like, yeah, we're going to go with a kid who's four inches shorter. Just looks better standing next to Brett Butler. And yeah. I'm just like, God, OK. Well, I remember in the Penn Station uh, Dairy Queen after that, just eating a blizzard. Yeah. Just being like, Drowning all right, in it. back to the. Because, again, you know, you're going out live. You're singing these solos. You're killing it. People love you. You're 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 a cute little kid. This is the thing that people don't understand. And yeah. This is something that I've like experienced more in the last. I've, I'm 42. Yeah, and have just finally realized how to handle situations like this. Every room that I go in and pitch or meet, they love you. Yeah, like every meeting I go to with an right. idea, they're like, "This is such a great idea, Jay. We'll talk for an hour." And right. they're like, "Love it." Questions, bomb, bomb, and you're leaving. They're like, "Wow." They love this. Yeah. And then you don't get it. And you're like, I used to always be like, I don't I don't get it. I crushed in there. And then it literally has been within the last year and a half where I just realized like, why would you think that they would tell you they don't like an idea? Yeah. Or they probably do love it. They probably love every idea they hear. It just comes down to logistics. What makes sense? You, what can they do? Especially in LA, it's like people have said, and I think they're right. You never get a no. You get a yes, but. Yeah. Yes, we love the idea, but it's not right. Yeah. Yes, we love the idea, but not now. Yeah. Yes, you know we what? love, we the, love the, the idea, yeah. and we were going to make it, but we yeah. have all of our budget just went into this Paul right. Reiser, uh, which happened to me, this <laughs> yeah. Paul Reiser period piece. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. and it's just like, uh, but it took me a long time to actually figure that out. I can't yeah. even imagine at 11. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
So I get home. We get home from the tour. My parents get divorced. Because of the tour? No, but they're- well, you know, it sounds like it to me. It sounds like you divorced your parents. Here's the reality. They were not, you know, my they were not doing well previous. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, I think when we when we literally got home, my dad was like, do you want to make this work? I think in front of me. And I, he goes, listen, Patty, here's the reality. If you want to make this work, let's try. If not, we'll we'll do what we have to do. Like, we'll dissolve the marriage, you know? Yeah. And she was crying. She's like, we got to just get divorced. And my dad's like, okay. And I'm like, we're home. Like, that was the homecoming. Yeah. I came home to that. I came home to like, and we're not going to be a family. Not only are you not famous, but not only are you quitting, we're all quitting. Jeez. So, yeah, it was interesting. So, uh, you know, I'm about 12. And then the next year, I, I just kind of, you know, I think my dad moves out. My parents are too poor to afford lawyers to argue about the Beanie Babies they own. So they get a mediator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a mediator is the Your ultimate white trash way to get a divorce. Yeah, Somebody who has no uh, authority, no power, and you know, probably no business dividing up your shit comes to your like dining room table and he's like, all right, let's try to work this out. Um, so the divorce takes two years. And by the way, Jeez. they're not carving up an estate. You <laughs> totally. know what I mean? Yeah. This isn't like, this is like literally who gets Aunt Gussie's lamp. Yeah. You know, and then there's me and then there's a few other things. So around 13, I make friends uh, in the town that I live in, which is, you know, fun town in, in Long Island. Drug drenched, right? You know, town that's below sea level, mafia town. You know, the good the Goodfellas gang lived in our town. Henry Hill lived there. Paulie from Goodfellas lived there. Um, the guy that The Sopranos is based off of lived a few blocks away from me. Crazy. It's a it's a South Shore, Long Island. Island Park's the name of the town, and it was like. I grew up with, you know, you could get weed, you could get coke, you could get acid, you could get ecstasy, which is, you know, everyone does Molly now, but you could get all of these things, you know, within, you know, it was just always that town. It had a lot of wild bars and people would go out and stuff like that. So quickly I started to make these friends because I wasn't a jock, yeah. but I wasn't a nerd. And I was, so you kind of end up in the drug group and I was clearly like in pain. Yeah. So I was like, let's, and then I started to realize my sexuality yeah. at, 13 and I'm like this is kind of weird how does that work in Long Island with fucking I mean what well you start you start wrestling at sleepovers uh, that's how it works and you start going wait a minute this is a lot of fun yeah. uh, this is maybe too much fun um, and then you start realizing oh god but do you have a support group around you that you can like be like yo I'm into dudes no like, no. I mean, no I mean 1998 99 Long Island there's not really a support group you're kind of like so that has to reinforce drug use big time and you're just kind of so I, I found my friend Tina who's a, a lesbian mm -hmm. she was just this tomboy at school yeah. who would smoke pot at lunch which was so cool yeah. she would just sit in the corner of of the you know the field recess and just like she had this little bat homemade thing she made and would just smoke pot i think one night i told my parents i'm like i'm staying after for chef's club there was no chef's club chef's what, club, what do my parents dude. have any fucking idea yeah. i think there was a chef's club but it was like a really formal thing you had to sign up for and sure. you know it was part of home ec i just said i'm staying after for chef's club and like me and tina went to my friend this girl lafon's house white girl named lafon 
you know it's a good person. Mm-hmm. You know it's a fun hang. That's we show up. Good parents. You know, good parents. The parents weren't home. We show up, ashtrays overflowing with cigarettes, and that was, you know, black lights and pictures of Hendrix and whatever. 100%. You know how the, yeah. the whole, you know the drug house. I mean, it's pretty, you know, and I went there and I learned, they taught me, I took a gravity bong. I took a few gravity bong hits and I got back, uh, you know, on this bike and we were driving through town and then I finally, I, I went back to the school and I got away with it. And then my parents picked me up and they're like, how was Chef's Club? I was like, it was good. They're like, okay. And I got you away. Made at, a souffle, I don't know. And I think I was just as high at getting away with it as the drug. Because like, you smoke pot the first time, it didn't even work. Yeah. But I was like, well, I got away with it. Well, I lied and I got away with it. Yeah. That was as much of a drug as the drug. And I'm like, oh, I can keep doing this. I can lie about my sexuality. I can lie about using drugs. I can kind of just lie. I don't have to tell. Because up until that point, I wasn't like a huge liar. Because yeah. I didn't need to be. Yeah. But then I started figuring out. It oh, also I c- fulfilled that acting need. 100%. You know, and that's lying, a good way to think about it. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, I can be this person. I can create this character. Yeah. And I did. And then I just started using drugs. I mean, you know, eighth grade graduation, me and my friend Shay, you know, we dropped acid on stage at our eighth grade graduation. Jesus Christ. And the valedictorian would not shut up. And you figure eighth grade, it's like, what do you really have to say? <laughs> yeah, dude. She was like, my grandfather came to this country. I was like, oh, really? Um, and I remember, you know, just after that, I would be like, I'm sleeping at Shay's house. Shay would be like, I'm sleeping at Tim's house. Our parents weren't the type of people to like call and verify. Yeah. They're like, okay, great. Well, especially with your parents' divorce, and they probably were like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's happy. They're, we right. can do our thing. We're, and they're fine. And, and here's the reality like, we came from a town where people didn't know each other. I mean, my grandmother died. There was 100 people at her funeral. My grandmother lived till 90. Yeah. And they all, because she was a fourth grade teacher forever. People knew each other. Like, there were these codes that were kind of enforced by just people knowing each other. Everyone knew each other. I'm sleeping at Chase House. There wasn't this idea that, like, they weren't like, I wonder what the kids are doing. Oh, they're probably just walking around the streets on acid. Yeah. At, at, 15 no one thought that if they thought we were doing anything it's like maybe they snuck a beer yeah maybe they snuck a beer and had a cigarette yeah who cares we used to do that stuff but we were hanging out in crack houses you know one of my favorite places to hang out where would you end up going that night like where would you sleep that night We'd go to a crack house in our town. We'd go to a a, a, a a little small bungalow in Island Park where there were four or five rooms. They were all rented to different people. Everybody would have coke, lines of cocaine on, on glass. People would be smoking weed. And, you know, we were 14, but we looked older. And the people, and we were funny, and we were affable. We were enjoyable. That's the thing with crack houses. They they get a bad rap. because <laughs> pe- You know what I mean? Like, people you have think? never. Well, here's the thing. I love steakhouses, and it's very similar. Like, I love the raw materials it's really about feeling a certain way people knowing who you are when you walk in i think this is where my love of restaurants come from a great restaurant is a crack house in the sense that like you go in you're doing something that's a little naughty oh i'll have the cream spinach of course let's do the cheesecake (laughs) they're good and nice to see you again great to see you again how's everything doing we have your regular table um yes i mean that way would you guys get a room or would you just be no we would just hang out in the living room and you know we'd have a lot of fun this crack house uh, and it was not really crack; it was more coke, yeah. you know. But um, 
you know, and by the way, people listening to this being like, oh, that's white privilege. It certainly is. Like, I'm not, I didn't grow up in a crack house. I don't know if that's white privilege. Probably. Why I mean, to an extent, well, because privilege? here's the thing. You don't think there are if I grew kids? If I grew up in the projects and my parents were addicted to crack, would yeah. I be making positive statements about crack? No. You're not really making a positive. This is just right. your situation. I it's think true. There's a level just, of white privilege. Yeah. If you had left that crack house yeah. and then- through a fucking mailbox, through a building, and yeah. cops came, and you got off. I yeah. think that's white privilege. I don't think that you're being in a circumstance of right. getting falling into drugs and crack houses in your area. Right. You know. Well, I, no, it, I'm it, sure it, the same things happening in black. Latino. I think the white privilege was like when we got older, we had cars. I would drive around the wealthy neighborhoods. I'm like, I want to smoke weed in the nice area, and we would drive 40 minutes to Sands Point, where it was a great Gatsby, and we would just look at mansions, stone, driving around. I'm like, I still don't think that's white. Privilege. Really? I, did well, the same I think if thing. I was black, I'd be in jail. Oh, because if you got yes. caught there. Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, oh, yeah. There was that, a 90210 episode of that. I you mean, know, when you the, know, are black kids sitting around being like, you know what? I want to see the lights in the nice area. I Let's go so. get high I, around the golf course. Really? I, I think that they, I think everybody, I don't think you can have yeah. a, not have a want for beautiful things because right. you're not white. Well, no, no, but no. I think that they may have a better awareness that, hey, if we go there. Yeah. People well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. But there are also still areas, you know, yeah. that they we all it all is based on circumstance. No, no, no. Of course, but but but, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, my my <clears throat> whole thing was like we would go hang out at these houses because it would be fun. There'd be drugs all over the place. We could get drugs, buy drugs, hang out, have fun. And I still remember one of the guys that owned him. He goes, you know what? He goes, you guys want to know how to succeed in life? We're sitting there. He's doing coke with 14-year-olds. He's like, <laughs> you want to know how I've made it as far as I have? And we're sitting there. He's doing coke off a knife, literally a knife. He's doing bumps of coke. Me and my friend are sitting there like, yeah. And he goes, I don't hang out with anybody who's lower than me or somebody who can't do nothing for me. And I just looked at my friend and we're just nodding like, like wow, this guy's got it figured out. This fucking guy. And by the way, he's standing there in a filthy, disgusting house with ashtrays overflowing with cigarettes, burn holes in the carpet, everything. But we're just like, hey, it's fun, man. This is fun. We're just getting fucked up. Now, how Nobody come these crack houses or coke houses weren't like regulated like the police did the police know they were happening the or mayor's son there? owned this house oh, okay so. i mean listen the reality of the situation is you know it's gonna happen there it's gonna happen and there were you know the cops would raid the house and then you know they'd find some drugs and maybe arrest somebody but at the end of the day it's kind of like they know what's going on it's almost like you rather it in one house yeah you rather it in this place where you know What's gonna happen? Like, who's you know? gonna be there? And what's yeah, I mean, it, it is the way it is. So, I mean, that was when I started. Like, we were driving to the Bronx when we were like fifteen. We just hop in a car with guys that were in their twenties, drive to the Bronx and buy a bunch of rocks of coke, and you know, we'd have them. They'd be grinding them up in the back. We'd be doing lines, smoking weed. We thought it was fun. You know, these guys would have guns in the car. We didn't care. We were like, you know, That's nothing crazy. was nothing was real because we were just young kids. And I remember we got robbed one day. A guy pulled a gun on us and robbed us in our own town. And he just give us all your money. And then we called our friends, and they're like ten. 10 guys came out of the bar and stopped this guy and took all the money. One of them was a chick. And this is my idea of feminism. Like one of them was this chick, Rosie. She banged on this guy's door and she's like, listen, she goes, you, you don't fuck with the people that hang out at my house. She goes, you're going to give me all their money. 
back and I'm going to give it back to them. And she's like, if not, she's like, listen, you call everyone you know, I'll call everyone I know and we'll fucking go do this. We'll fucking, you know, whatever you want to do. You call all your friends that you think you have in Far Rockaway or whatever and I'll call all the people that I know. And like, I was just like, oh, there's this group. But now, by the way, they just wanted- Did the guy give the money back? Yeah, he gave the money back. They just <laughs> wanted us to, they didn't want, because it's really robbing from them. We were just going to go there and buy drugs. Yeah. So it's really hit this guy taking- our money we were their client but like when you're 15 you're like oh this is cool yeah people like us they care about us we're like we have a group yeah <laughs> when that was not the case that was not the case i mean listen they just wanted i mean it was the case but it was for, it was the case for the worst reason they just wanted the money so i mean coke is a pretty addictive drug were you, it's very were you addictive. addicted yes did you do it every day yes we stole from our parents we would take money we would you know my friend's mother would get paid my mother would get paid we'd go into the envelope take a hundred dollar bill oh yeah i mean we we didn't do it every day we did it whenever we could yeah weekends all through high school no, you know, it kind of slowed down in ninth and tenth grade and eleventh grade, and that would kind of it became more of a weed event, and then you're trying to get popular, and then senior year it was just kind of booze and weed. And is everyone doing booze and weed in the school? A lot of people are, and like there wasn't that much coke going around, but there's booze and weed, maybe a couple of Vicodin. It was, you know. I was obsessed with being popular because I was a loser. Ninth and tenth grade, I was kind of a loser because I was just hanging out with druggies. Yeah. And all these rich Catholic school kids were like, what? What's yeah. this kid about? And then I realized, I'm like, I should move up in the world and start doing drugs and like, you know, nicer properties. You know what I mean? More acreage, you know? Yeah, Maybe totally. a tutor. Yeah. You know? You know what's funny is like, I feel like my grade, the year I graduated in my town, specifically in my town, and then the year below me were like the last grades of like like not good kids but like nobody was doing there were people doing drugs and drinking but not in like not the majority of the school by any means right and we were all like <clears throat> i'm not saying we were the cool kids but we were like we were popular we were involved you know what i mean yeah but that's what we all did we all got right. involved we were in sports we were in music we were in art we were in all these things yeah and nobody was like doing drugs and nobody was yeah. drinking nobody yeah there were kids like there were like the kids that were like running like the the store and the cafeteria that right. were like, doing drugs and shit well the thing was i was nominated 12th grade i was nominated for homecoming king i like came out of my shell i was like happy that's amazing i was like people liked me and i was like i was like oh this is cool and then you would just go to parties and like do drugs and smoke pot and you yeah. know fucking hang out and have fun and make people laugh and you know big groups around me trying to make people laugh and i think that's you know that's when i started to realize oh, i'm kind of funny and this is why people like me yeah you know that had been a whole a thing throughout my whole life but i'm like oh you could get invited to like cooler parties because people like you and they think you're funny and you know that's part that's kind of what i am i'm not the athlete yeah. i'm not the jock i'm not the nerd i'm not really rich yeah. So all I have is this personality and like part of that comes just, you know, and listen, man, isn't that funny that you think you just name that as a category? Yeah. Like not being rich. Oh, yeah. It's so crazy. But that's the thing, because when you're rich, the rich kids in school are interesting because they're never the most popular kids, but they're always in the group. They're never the most popular kids. They don't realize that they are popular yet. Yeah. The most popular kids are like the kids that are like jocks, but not that like the jocks that are good for the school but they're not totally. going to go on and be whatever yeah they're the towny kids they're like beating people up they're they're like their parents are kind of animals and they let them have parties all the time and then the rich kids don't realize that they're cool then they start driving beamers to school in 11th to 12th grade they start growing into their wealth yeah. growing into themselves and then they but they're still a little cold and aloof because they still are like 
caught between two worlds. So like there's these towny kids I kinda hang out with, but then they're going and their parents are like taking them to fucking Stad in Switzerland or whatever. They're going skiing and like so it's only after school that those people realize like I wrote a whole ten point thing on Facebook advice for kids in school and I'm like, always befriend rich kids, even if they are aloof, cold and not cool, because they're gonna be cool later on. These mm-hmm. are the friends that you want to have. They're not that <laughs> cool yet. But I, I, you know, I was nominated for homecoming. It was fun, you know. And then I was like, I didn't take school seriously. I enrolled in a community college afterwards. I still didn't care. I mean, community colleges on Long Island and that like are huge. Huge. Everybody goes for two years because nobody has done any preparation. No yeah. one's. Pre- that's the thing about Long Island. The difference between like a New York City or everything. People are not preparing. Long Island is people are just kind of rolling out of bed. They're figuring it out as they go. And I was at a community college, and then I just I uh, I was on a debate team, and I was very good. I won a gold medal in debate because I was like Dope. I was a bullshitter. I always wanted to do that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then my debate partner was a guy named Kenny, and he had a Range Rover. And I said, "What do you do? Why do you have a Range Rover?" He's like, "Dude, I'm dropping out of college." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, I'm, "I sell mortgages." So that's when I was like, okay, well, fuck this. Yeah. I'm also dropping out and selling mortgages because I want a Range Rover. And this is how f- corrupt my value system was. I still was not out of the closet. Mm-hmm. I still was like- to Not even your parents? To nobody. To no- I came out at 25. What about that lesbian chick or Shay? No, nobody. I came Damn. out at 25. Wow. I wasn't really friends with them anymore. I was, I was kind of like- <clears throat> Somewhat of a loner And then I met Kenny And I was like You know I was like Oh cool more dry And then cocaine came back Yeah That's when cocaine came back With mortgages Which was the biggest drug Of the decade The subprime mortgage Yeah It's not cocaine Okay Yeah Biggest drug Was the mortgage And I bought a house 22 years old Jesus With no money down And I bought a $600,000 house What was your mortgage payment? $4,400 a month Excluding taxes and insurance They came after I had to pay them quarterly Yeah Okay I was coked out of my face Drunk And the mortgage industry had just And I'd never even made that much money in the mortgage industry I was okay at sales I was never that good Yeah You know I sold a few loans You know In Long Island A couple of You know You know Levitt houses. I'm not because I, isn't I'm, that whole business who you know and like no, at it's 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 are you upset? Will you are are you a slick person? All of sales is can you commit to it? Sure. And I didn't really want to do it because I knew that this wasn't me. I'm like I don't really want to sell anything. Like I just want to be rich because I think it'll it it'll like insulate me from having to be honest. Yeah. And I won't have to come out of the closet. I'll just have this big beautiful house and a car, and nobody will need to know anything about me because I can have all this money. Yeah. And that'll be the thing that, you know, you know, basically ensures that I'll never have to get real. Yeah. And. That was the thing, and I bought a house, and I was 22 years old, and I- well, what was the whole point of buying that house? It was a scam. It was the idea- I understand, of, but what was it to you that made you be like, oh, this is the next thing I should do is buy a house, because, because there was no money down? How else am I going to show people that I'm doing well? Gotcha. Okay, yeah. How else can I just- How can I show people I'm doing well? I'll buy this house, and I'll, and I'll rent it out, and I can rent it out for half the mortgage, and I'll, I'll make enough to cover the rest. Yeah. And then t- I, be, I believe it was two months after I closed on my house, the, the mortgage bank I went for, uh, you know, I worked for went out of business. Yeah. And there was a headline in the New York Times that said mortgage meltdown. And then that was the beginning of the end. And then, you know, I mean, the, you know, I'm now totally marooned on an island. I have a house I cannot afford. Because why can't you afford? Because you don't have a job? 
it's everything's over. Yeah. There's nothing to sell. The yeah. mortgage industry, you know, it's just completely collapsed. I mean, when people look back at that time, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people now that have the benefit of hindsight that look back and and go, well, everyone should have known, and how could how, and they're right in the sense that a lot of these loans were illogical. But I was a 22 year old kid, and everyone in my world that I respected, and I mean, listen, the fucking president came out and said, 70 percent of people own their homes, things are great. You looked at all these people that were twice your age, three times your age, that had wives, families, kids, and they had careers in mortgages. And these were bankrupts that came in from Chase and JP Morgan, uh, Chase and Citibank. And like this was, uh, and by the way, there were really shady people in this business. And I'm not trying to minimize them. There was predatory lending, there was racial, you know, bias and like, but I Listen, will tell I you. I appreciate that you're precursoring that. Yeah. And you precursored yeah. the idea that you're not glorifying the right. crack house. Yeah. But my whole thing with our uh, want to be so upfront about yeah. our objective on things. Yeah. Because, but I, 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 well, it's imp- it's I just want to let you know that. Yeah. And we'll just for everyone listening. Yeah. Moving forward. Yeah. Where I'm giving you a free pass to just yeah. give us the viewpoint from where you were standing when it happened. Well, yeah, but here's because the, here's just, the no, thing. I'm, I'm just saying, it's impossible you know. to give the viewpoint because I've lived through. I'm smarter now than I was for sure. And but I'm I looked, saying we don't need to justify. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, and I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm just saying for everyone listening. Sure. I'm. I'm. I want to hear things how it happened. Okay. Well, so so here, here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm, I'm just defending you to not have to defend yourself. I guess. Yeah. No. But I'm saying I, I'm trying to look at it. I'm trying to deliver a complete picture. And I think the complete picture I'm trying to deliver is this: the entire world was swept up in this mania. Everybody thought this was going to be okay. A few people that didn't made billions of dollars. Sure. It's called the big short. And they, but the majority of people, and this Break was it down for me exactly yeah. how this all came, what happened. Well, basically, you just had a lot of people financing homes. They never should have. They didn't have the money to back it up. They didn't have the money to back it up. And what happened was a lot of these defaults, these foreclosures happened in one of three states, New York, Florida, California. Real estate is very expensive. Why? Government buys a lot of land. That makes the value of the land that uh, you know that you can develop on yeah. much higher. People need to buy that. They need to get mortgages. And basically banks started figuring out ways to disguise the cost of the house. You can pay only interest. You don't have to put any money down. You have a balloon mortgage, which is an adjustable rate. So for two or three years, you have a three and a half or four percent. And then the rate will adjust to two times that, three times that, two or After three years, years in, two, two or three, three years. years in. So you go from paying forty four hundred a month to, to paying seven thousand. Gotcha. OK. Yeah. You know, it's or a big nut. It's a huge. Especially for people who have like a stand. What, what do you like? Because yeah, their income. income's not going up. Exactly. Their income's not going yeah. up. But again, I took that adjustable rate mortgage. I took it two by 28 like everybody else. I thought the same thing everybody else thought where it's like, oh, after two years, we can refinance, you yeah, know? Yeah. So my whole point about this whole thing is like, now we kind of look, this was not a small... Like, you know, was this like all boiler rooms, like getting over on people? No, this was the entire operating system of the financial industry for the better part of a decade. And this is everybody was financing. Everybody was trying to be a speculator. Everybody was in the market. So, like, 
Yes, was it crazy that I thought this could work out to an extent, but only as crazy as everybody else because I was making money. Well, it wasn't also, a lot of money. Like you said, the president yeah. goes on yeah. TV and says, hey, this is what we should be doing. Everyone's yeah. going to listen to the president. Everybody's like, okay, this is great. So now at this point, though, I own this house. I'm 22 years old. The mortgage industry has evaporated, and I, I find this bar up the block from my house called Lisa's Lounge. I can no longer afford cocaine, by the way, the best rehab. <laughs> um, I'm at Lisa's Lounge, which is a, a small bar in Long Island that is named after, I swear to God, a girl, a guy who owns the bar, his daughter died in a drunk driving accident. So he named Jesus. the bar after her, and he put her picture on the wall. Okay? <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to 2009, the darkest year ever, and I'm just kind of sitting there at 23 years old, having a midlife crisis with a house I can't afford, getting drunk every day with the guy that works, you know, Frankie Produce, the guy that works in the uh, grocery store, mm -hmm. the electrician, the guys from the local three union that do nothing. You know, it's a gin mill is what we call it. Long Island. It's like one of these old school corner bars yeah. that is just populated by townies and you know, degenerate alcoholics and these people, you know, were really fun to be around because these people, I was like, these people are going to weather the storm. They'll be fine. Yeah. Everybody's jumping out of windows. Everybody's upset. You walk in this bar. Everybody's like, hey, shit happens. That was the attitude. <laughs> Literally. You'd be like, I own a house up the block I can't pay for. So how, somebody'd yeah, how be long, like, listen, don't worry about it. How long did you own it? Did they foreclose on you? Or did 2007 you to 2010, they foreclosed on me, you know, and, you know. Oh, you sucks. lost the house. I mean, that's what happens. And yeah. I mean, I was prepared for that. I knew it was going to happen. It wouldn't make sense to keep paying a mortgage. The house dropped in value probably by half. Whoa. 50%. Because I bought it at the, the peak. It was the worst time to and buy a house. was the mortgage... The mortgage availability driving the prices up because everyone could get a mortgage. Absolutely. They were creating demand. Got it. So now I'm fucked. I'm 23... Um, I'm 24 and um, I'm 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 drunk. I'm I'm not doing hard drugs anymore, but I'm I'm drinking, which is to me the hardest drug. It is, man. It really is it the really hardest is. drug. And they I'm just, hanging out. You just made excuses for it. Yeah, I'm forever. hanging out with people that live on boats. I'm hanging out with this this crew of people that really barely exists in Long Island anymore. Yeah. Because these people were like grifters. They were able to like live on couches and basements. There were no credit checks, nobody, no employment verification. These people just kind of made it. There was all everything was all cash, you know. Yeah. They kind of lived in this era where you could really be off the grid in yeah. an interesting way. And those people I became friends with because I was like I was ending up off the grid. I was leaving off the grid, you know? Yeah, I'm at a check cashing place. I'm like not putting money in the bank. I'm like, are they going to take my money? You know, I was paranoid. I'm like, fuck, I own this house. I've stopped making mortgage payments eight so months wait, ago. You were not working doing anything? No, I was working in mortgages, you know, working in a small company. I'm saying after the crash, though. Yeah, I'm still working in this company. Okay. There's, it's a windowless office. You know, oh. the owner of the company is drunk every day. He's sleeping in his office. We're listening to sales tapes going, okay, we're going to turn this around. My, the sales manager is like encouraging us. He's like, this is a small blip. When this comes back, you guys are all going to be kings because you didn't Jesus. run. Everybody else ran, not you guys. We're eating in abandoned delis. I mean, nobody's left doing this. We're like the only, we're the only idiots left doing this. Like a post-apocalyptic nightmare. <laughs> we're all just standing outside smoking cigarettes, and you know, wearing suits, wearing wearing what we think are suits. Yeah. Mix and match blazers and ties and rumpled suits. I mean, we're, we're having sales meetings at Taco Bell because that's Jeez. all we can afford. Gesturing with a quesadilla, talking about, <laughs> you know, talking about how great things are going to be when it comes back. 
we, you know, we're becoming increasingly delusional, conspiratorial. What is this? What's going to happen? And, so how you know, long after the crash, how long after your house was foreclosed, did you keep working? A few years, about two years. Holy shit. Yeah, because, well, not, well, well, well uh, my house is in the, foreclosure is a very long process. Mm -hmm. So it's not immediate. So I keep working because I'm like, what else am I going to do? And by the way, there's no real mortgages to sell now. So I'm making very little money. Every now and then you would sell like an FHA loan, which is a federal housing administration loan. It's a good loan. It's government backed, all that stuff. There were no, you know, private money had, had left the mortgage business completely. Nobody wanted to buy these loans. So all loans that you were doing were government guaranteed loans, but people, a lot of people didn't qualify, you know, so at this point, I'm at a point in my life when I'm like, I have literally, starting, by the way, when I started smoking pot in seventh grade with my friend Tina at LaFont's house, and I got away with the first lie, I've compounded that to where I'm working in a job that I really don't have an interest in or an aptitude for. Mm -hmm. I own a fucking house. Mm -hmm. I'm living in Long Island. I own a house. I think I'm going to get married to a woman and I can't even like, I, 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 I mean, they're disgusting. So the, I mean, not to Women. speak to, but you know, um, <laughs> you know that, that I love, yeah. but, uh, the, um, no, but I mean, I'm I'm completely so far away from the person that I am. I'm, yeah. I'm so at this point, I get what actually ends up being this get out not get out of jail free card because my credit was ruined and I I spent ten years in you know poverty doing comedy. It's it's not that, but I get like this second chance in the form of a jury notice. Yeah, I get a letter that says we want you for jury duty, and I look at this letter. I love that. I, that's how you viewed it. We want you. You're like yeah. Yeah. yeah, somebody. This is where I fit. In. Finally, somebody, something good. Yeah. But you know what was weird? When I got on the trial, my parents were like proud of me. My grandmother was like, "Of course, you got selected. You're my grandson." <laughs> I'm like, "God, we have real low standards." Yeah. So I get this letter and I show up to the jury thing, and I'm really thinking it's going to be some guy that slipped into Wendy's, and yeah. Wendy's is like, "We'll give him eighty thousand And because it's Long Island, the guy's like, "How about ten million? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know what I mean. This was that my, was pretty soon after. My, yeah, you remember when that first person got burned with that coffee at McDonald's? It and was it changed everything. Long Island looks at that like fucking the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Totally, they're like, we've arrived. <laughs> so I get this letter and I show up and. This news camera's outside, and they're like, "This is uh, this is a big deal. This is News Twelve. This is murder, torture, rape. Everything. This is the start of the trial, or your first chance to just like get first on the chance trial. to get on the trial. Okay. So I just get in, and I'm like, I've never been to jury duty. I didn't even know what it was. They're like, it's murder, torture, rape. This is huge. This is a very big deal. So. My friend drives me, drops me off. I'm sitting there and I'm like, immediately, I'm like, I need this. I don't know why. Yeah. I like, I need to be on this you trial. Know what this was? What this was, was it? Like, it was like your chance to see debate team live. Right. It you was that. I mean? And be involved in it. It was everything. I was like, I need this. It's something different. I need a break. I don't have the money to go on a retreat. My parents retreat? don't have like a silent retreat. You know, these fucking faggy things you all, these people in LA do <laughs> in meditation. Uh, my my parents don't have money. I can't go back to them and be like, hey guys, listen, can I, you know, I yeah. can't go study abroad. You know, that's, that's yeah. the one thing that like you, when you don't grow up with money, 
You know, and I see it with a lot. You know, when you yeah. just don't grow up with money, you never have that ability to turn to someone and be like, hey, can I get some money? Yeah. Because I, I can't make it. Right. You know, it's, that's the whole thing. So I'm like, you're kind of on your own to an extent, even though like my, my family's there. They're not at all. I mean, my mother's a schizophrenic. She's not earning income. My father is now remarried and he's, you know, he's a wine salesman, a working class guy. There's, there's not like a lot of money. So basically I'm on my own and I got to figure a way out of this and I show up to jury duty and I'm like, I kind of need something. I don't know why I need to be on this trial, but I feel like I do. So they put you in the jury box with 10 or 12 other people I don't know if you've ever done this I haven't You're in the jury box With 12 people and They ask you questions Because they want to eliminate you Yeah Okay So the prosecutor comes up Now I want it again Now I want it I'm auditioning You are I want in are. hard So the first thing you got to do Is you start rolling your eyes And looking at your watch Immediately Because you can't want it too bad Jay yeah. If you want it too bad You're out So I roll my eyes Look at my watch I'm like great Judge, judge is seeing me do this Yeah I'm not going overboard But I'm just like You know I'm like, all right, jury duty. And they also love giving it to that guy, right? For sure. Prosecutor walks over. She goes, Mr. Dillon, your license has been suspended like 20 times. I mean, it's like ridiculous. I mean, God, you must really hate the police. I look at her and I say, well, you know what? I hate that kid who didn't pay his tickets. I hate how irresponsible he was. I hate that he thought the world would just accommodate him. That's who I hate. <laughs> she nods, sits back at her table. I'm in like, your head. Did you hear applause? In my head, I'm at the Academy Awards yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. You know. Yeah. The woman gets up from the defense. She goes, "Mr. Dillon, murder, torture, rape. You hear words like that? How could you be impartial? They're just words." There's nothing behind them. All I hear is words. Words ultimately mean nothing. Neil Young starts playing. Words. <sighs> she how how are other people answering questions? Stupidly, like they weren't trying to get on this trial. Yeah. They like they just, just wanted to go home to their families. Totally. Like, like they'd put no thought into how to get on this two-week commitment. Like they'd never read Tennessee Williams yeah, before. Yeah, like they had not prepared every moment for this like their life didn't <laughs> depend on sitting in this box for a week that's how they were answering it jay yeah um they said i don't know a lot i'm like whoa they me and some other guy they're like all right everyone leave except you two well now i throw my hands up i'm like oh judge goes mr dylan is there any reason that you cannot serve on this trial and i'm like roll my eyes throw my hands up i'm like i guess not he goes, this is your civic duty. And I'm like, I know. He's like, all right. I walk out. I get my friend's Chrysler 300Z. His parents bought. I get in. And he goes, did you get it? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I knew you would. And I'm like, thanks, buddy. And we just smoked cigarettes. Did you know you got it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. They you told know you? you got it. They I tell you or yeah. you just... Okay. I go back to my mortgage company. I go, I got jury duty. I can't come in next week. My boss goes, what kind of shitty salesman can't get out of fucking jury duty? How pathetic are you? Literally look at yourself. How pathetic are you that you can't get out of jury duty? Just say the N word. Just do something like that. Jesus. I'm like, and in my your head, you're like, he doesn't get that. I tried to get it and I did get it. Yes. That's how good I and am. And I'm like, it's my civic duty. So every day I go to this trial. How long does it last? It's about 
a little over, I would say, 10 days. Okay. Now, it's big. It's on the news. Every news station has it. Every And this is a crime that happened on oh, the island. Oh, yeah. This is a guy that killed the mother of his children, and he did it rather brutally. He stabbed her in each eye. He was tried. It was murder in the first, and murder in the first, which I didn't know, is not always... Pre, only premeditated wow. it's actually if you murder somebody in such a wanted and cruel manner if it's especially cruel yeah. especially if they include torture in there that you can actually be charged from for like if if i just come in here and i tor torture you and murder you yeah even if you can't prove that i premeditated it it's still first degree murder yeah so that's interesting so and they explain that to us while we're in the jury box but every day you hear about mortality and every day I'm hanging out with this guy, Bud, who's my friend's father. Bud's a legend. Every party was at this guy's house. They, they live in a small little house. Bud's never worked. You know, drugs, selling them, doing them, whatever. Interesting guy. Would walk around high school parties shooting beer cans out of people's hand with a paintball gun. Fun guy. Shut your mouth. Fun guy. Yeah. Bud's wild. I was in, this is how fun this guy was. I was in two boating accidents with this guy, you know? Wait, so this is your friend's dad? My friend's dad. Oh my. My, my friend God. said to me, he goes, no one will go on the boat with them anymore. Why do you still go on? I'm like, we have a great time. I mean, Bud did one of the coolest things ever. Me and my friend were sitting there with two girls. We're drinking. Bud comes over to us. He goes, you know, I've been kind of an asshole to you guys. I want to get your drinks. My, his son goes, okay. He goes over to the bartender. Bud points to us, points to himself, gives a thumbs up. Bartender goes a thumbs up. Bud's like, okay. Bud climbs over, gets in his little boat. Tiny little boat. Like a, like the bar a, is on the water? Right on the water in Freeport. Takes the boat, leaves, goes up the canal. We're drinking for about another maybe 25 minutes. Not that long. We're, we're, we're you know waiting for table at another restaurant. We're just hanging out. The bartender goes, okay, here's the check, $400. And we go, wait a minute. There should be no check. Bud's covering all our things. The bartender goes... That guy said, that guy's been drinking here for two days for free. He said you were covering all his drinks. And we went, what? And he goes, yeah, remember when he pointed to you and Shut he made the thumbs up. up and then you guys made the thumbs up? And we were like, and I just looked at my friend and I said, I can't not love him. Classic. Bug. I just can't not love this guy. Yeah. So we, we're out now for hunch. We throw the money down. It is what it is. So Bud's just, he's That's, that type of guy. Yeah. Fun guy. I always say that. I, you know, we all grew up with guys that were like dirtbags. Yeah. Like I grew up with a friend, Mark, who was a dirtbag. Yeah. And at one of our friends had a like family party. They were playing poker and he cheated playing poker. You yeah. Know? This is like with neighbors and stuff. Right. So this is a year later and we're at the same house for a graduation party from college for our buddy. Yeah. And I retell the story of him cheating and I go and, and I go and Gibba kept an ace, a pair of ace when he like, you know. After his deal, yeah, you know, for a good hand, and he leaned over to me. He goes, "I had two aces and a deuce." <laughs> he goes, "You know, trying to catch that full house." Great. And I was just like being a dirtbag on top of dirtbag. But yeah, you love people. Yeah. That are just sometimes I mean, you just appreciate them so, for being them. So Bud would come to the trial every day and just hang and just watch would this whole thing you? unfold. I would drive him. <laughs> I didn't even have a license. I would drive him. I would like, I think my license was suspended. I mean, the woman was right. She was. Yeah, like, she was. So we'd go every day and then we'd get drunk afterwards and talk about it. We're like, this is fucking crazy. This is crazy. You know? Because he, so anyone was allowed to be in the room? It's a public courtroom. Yeah. So Bud would come every day. Now, most people don't go hang out at murder trials every day <laughs> if they have no connection to the victim. Was Bud didn't give lit? a fuck. I mean, it was fun. We had a great time, you yeah. know? I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like people that have never served on a murder trial don't know how engrossing it is. 
Yeah. It's really what? Well, I it's think it's you know law and order for me. Yeah, because that yeah. true crime is a giant genre right now. Yeah. And people get obsessed about it. And why there's what's the disconnection between being at an actual trial and then just watching some Netflix show that they put together? Right. And this guy was guilty. I mean, I I think I didn't pay that much attention. I was kind of going through my own shit, but he seemed guilty. Uh and no, he was very guilty. And like he was so guilty that I thought the next thing would be like, and here is the YouTube of the crime. Like yeah. that next but you know, this is a guy that was clearly guilty and the what really changed for me on that trial was the prosecutor was so good at her job yeah. that when she was delivering her summation or closing statement, this guy stood up and goes, I didn't do this crime. And it was like she had nailed him. She nailed him. She was like, he was at her house every day except this one night. Where was he? Why is he escaping? We have all this footage of him going through the Bronx, leaving. No alibi. He's clearly trying to get away from something. You know, they didn't have a murder weapon, but they had kind of everything else. Testimony, text, threats, everything. You traced them like right up to her house and then fleeing, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is this was 100% the guy was guilty. And she was so good at her job that I was sitting in the jury box and I'm like, man, she is meant to do this. Yeah. I don't know how she got here. I don't know what she did to get here. I don't know that, you know, the track she took. But bottom line is, if you're a DA, yeah, you want to be doing it. You want to be doing it. And she was so good at it. I'm like, there is nothing else she should be doing. She's in the pocket. When you see somebody in the pocket, whether they're a great comedian or whatever they do, you're like, yeah, that's it. You know, you eat food at a restaurant. You, you look at the chef in the back. He's like in it. Yeah. He's just, you know, the food. You know, he's got, he's on the line. He's with his people. You're like, yeah, that guy figured it out. That's what he should be doing. Yeah. And I, up until that point in my life, had not figured it out. I tried acting. I tried this. I tried cocaine. I tried more. I tried, uh, I tried heterosexuality. But none of it's worked. Yeah. And then eventually, that trial, you know, we're sitting there um, every day. I'm making. What was it like every day? Every day you would go in and then there would be like another expert would come out. You would, you know, have the, you know, the the coroner. You would have you know, the medical what examiner. Time you get there? What time would you get out? You'd get nine in. To five? It's a nine to five. Yeah. You'd get in there at eight thirty or whatever. You, you know, I would sit in the box and, you know, one time I ate potato chips, which was I was told not to do that. Uh, Could you eat in the box? You were Just not allowed. No. Oh, okay. But I realized that afterwards. But. You know, I was, you know, I had a, one of the, my friends was an ADA and she didn't, we hadn't seen each other for years. She was, we, you know, lost touch after high school yeah. and she walked in and she's like, I walk in, I see Bud and Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon's in a jury box and he's eating potato chips and the coroner's like, he stabbed her in each eye and I'm like, <laughs> and everyone in the court's look at me and I'm just like, I go, Sorry. I do a sorry. Yeah. One time I dropped a bunch of Altoids all over the floor and the murderer looks at me and he laughs hysterically and I gave him a like, what do you want from me? He laughed. I, I mean, this guy loved me, you know? <laughs> and it was sad that I had to convict That's him of murder. Insane. It was sad because, he, you know, we built a rapport. Yeah. And I was killing. Like every time I'd go in and I'd sit down and I'd kind of, you know, he would just kind of. You, you, you were on stage. Yeah. And then, you know. Every day you would hear testimony, and a lot of it's very disturbing. People are crying through their testimony. I mean, remember, this is a brutal murder of a woman who has two children. Yeah. This is a rough thing. This is a thing where there this guy was an informant for the police. That is why they ignored all of the restraining orders she had against them. 
Damn. He was informing on other drug dealers. Uh, they ignored all the restraining orders. The family after this got an $8 million settlement from, I think, the Nassau County Police Department because the cops had literally let this guy go. He beat her up, hospitalized her. They let him go. Wow. Crazy, negligent dereliction of duty. And she had all these angles happening. And is this the kind of case that, like, the whole, all of Staten Island is, like, following Long Island. It? Long Island, yeah. everyone's following it? People are watching. Nobody on Long Island follows anything ever unless it's Billy Joel, you know, yeah, or a hurricane. Yeah. Those are the two things that will get everyone's attention. If you want Long Island to be captivated, you have to be either Billy Joel driving his car through a house or you have to be a Category 4 heroin, uh, hurricane yeah. blowing their boats around the street. <laughs> Other than that, you get in a small crew. Mm-hmm. No, but it's on the cover of Newsday, which is the deli tablecloth bullshit newspaper they have. It's all over the place. People are like into it. You know, people are talking to me like at bars, but they're, they don't know anything because they're, you know, people are idiots. Yeah. So people are like, what's that? You know, and I'm a juror and I'm like kind of taking it seriously. So I can't really like, like we're talking a little bit like me and Bud are like, all right, so let's, let's I'll be honest with you. I'm a juror. Yeah. I'm on the trial. This would be out like at bars? Oh, yeah, bars. Because would you and Bud just go out to bars as soon as you leave the trial? Yeah, we'd go out to bars as soon as we leave the trial and just start getting hammered. There's this great fisherman's bar called the Helm in Freeport mm-hmm. where it's like it's been flooded so many times the wood floor is kind of warped. Mm-hmm. And they serve one dish. It's a burger. It's the best burger you'll ever eat. Yeah. And they would buy you back every other drink, every other second drink, a third drink. They would, you know, and you would just be like, and the bartender would be like, Timmy's on the trial. Timmy's a juror. And they'd be like, Timmy, you're a juror. I'm like, it's nuts. This guy stabbed her in each eye, we think, allegedly. <laughs> you know, and, and, and people got into it, but. Were you know, everyone giving like their two cents, like at the bar? Because I Not re- Well, here's the thing in Long Island people, the depths of people are really in themselves. Mm-hmm. So they want to tell you about their story. Of course. They want to, this is just a jumping off point for them to get into the murder they think they solved in 1977. Totally. So, (laughs) you know, like, they'll give you their two cents, but they're like, well, you think you're going through something. You remember Son of Sam? It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now we're here for an hour. Yeah. We're here for an hour, eating baked clams, listening to someone compile a mostly fake story from news clippings and try to insert themselves into it totally to give their life meaning um but that was the try i mean it was an interesting period i had never thought about any of this shit i never thought about i'm gonna be dead one day this guy's we're locking him up for life you know is that what he was getting? There was no life death. plus fifty years. I mean, the judge said to him, "Life plus fifty years." And you know, the judge was, you know, and he's like, "All the funds to, you know, he's going to lose inmate funds because we're settling debts out of his funds." And his defense attorney was like, "Well, he'll never have commissary then, judge." And the judge is like, "Listen, what's commissary? You could send money to prisoners." Oh, okay. So they're like, "He'll never have that. They'll just keep draining it to apply it to the funds." And the judge is like, "Hey, life plus fifty. Like, this is the, you know." The guy's convicted of first degree murder. Yeah. And what was amazing is the sentencing because when they, he was, there's a lot of charges against this guy. Well, the first charge is first degree murder. It's the most important. And there's four police that stand behind him. And as soon as they convict him on first degree murder, they put him in cuffs because mm-hmm. every other charge is like, doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. You're going to get sentenced on first degree murder. You're going away for the rest of your life. Um, but so right after that, they cuffed him. 
And it was kind of a, it was one of the most intense moments I've ever had. Like there's been some very intense moments in my life, especially doing comedy. You know, you, you walk, you know, first set I did at the comedy store main room. I was on a show with the Leah Burr and all that shit. Yeah. I got a guest spot. Josh Adam Myers gave it to me. Great dude. And that was, there's an intensity to walking on that stage for the first time. Yeah. There's an intensity to walking out of JFL. For the first time 100%. There's an intensity to As your little kid Getting out and singing a solo In a show But Right up there And there's intensity To your first Sexual experience Whatever There's intensity To all these things Right up there Is when you file Into a box With 12 other people To deliver someone Their fate it's yeah. kind of crazy. It's a god, uh, kind of like a god power. It's it's something that I was wholly unprepared for the intensity of that moment. It built throughout the trial. Every day, it got a little bit more real, in the sense that this was going to end, and we were going to make a decision, and nobody's life was going to be the same. And it was kind of wild because I was like, you know, you start going like all. Oh, this is a big, you start take. I took it very seriously. I actually was like, this is, you know, something. And we deliberated, I think, for a day and a half. We asked for evidence. We, you know, yeah. and it was a serious thing. But when you walk back out there and the judge goes, the jury reached a verdict, matter four person, yes. And then, okay, is it verdict unanimous? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us, you know, you read the verdict for the court. The silence in the room Whew. is heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. There's something about it. Nobody's chatting. No one's chatting. No one's chewing gum. No one's shifting in their seat. Yeah. Nobody's coughing. There's a silence that is deafening. And I mean, I've bombed yeah. where there's bad silences in rooms. There's very few silences like that one. And it only lasts for a few seconds because as soon as you hear the word guilty, there's an audible reaction. And then everything goes back in to what, normal. What, what's the audible re like? <sighs> yeah. You hear people exhale. Yeah. You hear shifting of chairs because someone's going to turn around and look at the person behind them. Yes. Chairs start shifting. People are going to cry. People, people are, are crying. Gonna... People are exhaling. People say yes. Were Go, there yes. people there for him? Like family? Not really. Yeah. It was pr primarily her yeah. family. One of the most gangster things I ever saw, her best friend got up, and most people were afraid of this guy, so they didn't want their address being read. Yeah. And they were like, uh, would you like your address being read? And she looked right at this guy and she goes, that's my address. He knows where I live. And if this doesn't work out, he could come see me. We settle this any, any way he wants. Whoa. Crazy. <laughs> but you see, she's gangster people. Yeah. You know, like yeah. she's like, you know, you kill my friend, you know, how am I supposed to act? Yeah. What am I supposed to my best friend? She's, you know, so she has two kids, you know, um, that was a heaviness. As soon as we said guilty, and then I said to myself, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to, we all made a pact as a jury. Don't talk to the press. Like nothing good can come talking to the press. Yeah. So we all walk out together and I'm walking to my car. And this is after the verdict. After the verdict. I see a News 12 camera. I say to myself, I say, you know what? I got to be honest. I know I just made that pact with the jury about not talking to the press, but there's a lot of public interest in this. Sure. You've been out there in the public. They, they've been telling you. Is it fair that they don't get any inside baseball? Mm -hmm. Not really. <laughs> so the camera sees me and I see the camera and we're united again for the first time in I don't know 20 years. Yeah. But it just feels right. And they come up to me and they're like, what convicted the defendant? And I said, his own words. 
And then we just did a little thing. And my grandparents didn't even know I was on jury duty. They saw me. They saw me talking and they called my father. They're like, we just saw Timmy. He was a juror on this murder trial. He's doing great. My father goes, we're all very proud of him. Shut up. I swear to God. Well, I so, mean, at the same point, you're putting away this bad person, murderer, drug dealer. He was a bad dude. No, this guy was not a good guy. And this wasn't a hard thing. This wasn't like a more like I, I would listen. I would never want to do this if it was just a guy who just sold drugs or just yeah. was in a shit, you know. But this was a guy that murdered brutally uh, a mother of children. It was bad. So I came out of that and I'm, and I'm driving home and I just say to myself, I go. I can't be the same person I was two weeks before. Like, I can't be. I'm going to die one day. Somebody's going to, you know, whatever the case may be. I have to start doing something that I think I love because I watched that lawyer and she was great. Yeah. And I made everyone laugh every day in the jury box. And then people have always said you should try comedy because I was like a funny guy, a class clown. And I'm like, I've never done it. I've been just kind of a pussy forever. And I think it was that was in the late spring, early summer. And then I think. Two months after that, I did my first open mic at a tattoo parlor coffee shop in Long Island. And then I came out of the closet before I did that to friends in that summer. And then I also stopped drinking. I'm like, I got to sober up. Did I you can think, never drink again. Did you think there was a... I mean, geez, you made a lot of life choices. A lot of life changes. Did you think that... Someone did have to die, but luckily, hey, yeah, I mean, this is the way it is, Jay. Is, do you think that uh, you needed to come out because you you knew how like honest and real stand up was? Yes, or? that was what I thought. I'm like, and now ten years in, I'm like idiot. Um, but no, I said I can't. The person that exists now can't go and do the things that I'm gonna do. Yeah. So I got to be a different person. That person has to be honest. That person has to be sober, and that person has to be fully one hundred percent. In this He can't be lazy I can't give myself Any excuse I have to just Do it yeah. And this is the last thing In my life Like I think Steve Martin Said about stand up He's like It's the ego's last stand Where it's like This is the This is like You know This is You know And that, that was kind of The way I felt Where it was like Well this has to work And I'm willing to put The time in And I'm willing to sacrifice Because there's so nothing funny. left No man There's and nothing left like, There's so I mean, it seems like nowadays there's so many, there's more comedians than there's ever been, but comedy, stand-up comedy, yeah, is such a, so many people are afraid of it that there's only a select amount of people that will try it, yeah, you know, and then you got to be good at it. So like, yeah, you went into it the right way. And I was going back to like again that six-year-old who kind of knew what he wanted to be. Here's yeah. the thing: you just got sidetracked. I got sidetracked for years. I probably would have came out of the closet earlier. I would have been happier. I would have been better looking. I would have went to a liberal arts college. I would have had maybe a boyfriend. I would have lived in Vermont. And I wouldn't have been funny. Those people aren't funny, yeah. you know? And I know what you're saying. But they have specials. They're not funny. Uh, no, I think what made me funny and where I realized the value of humor. See, the value of humor in my life is very different. Like, listen, there's nothing wrong with comedians that are brilliant to go to Harvard that are like, well, I just love comedy and I'm going to learn how to be a great comedian. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the value of humor to me has always been like being in the pits of despair, looking at these horrible things. Well, despair. you know, being in like a nasty spot and going, what about this is just fucking hilarious? Yeah. Like, what about... This is funny because if I can laugh about it, I can I can deal with it. So that's humor 
to me was that. Yeah. So that's why comedy is important to me. That's why people being able to joke about whatever they want is important to me. People being able to vent their trauma in any way they want is sure. important. And that's the school kind of that I come from where I'm like, this is important as a thing to me because I, and I, and it's important to people all over the world that like, this is a, something that can make life more bearable. Well, for sure. And it's almost like comedy's kind of evolved into that. You know, yeah. it's not just a, a chance for people to escape or to just laugh. Cause you feel like if you go out to a really good comedy show and you laugh for two hours straight, you don't, you don't realize it, but you're like happy for like a solid week off of that one night. Huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, can you tell me about the two boating accidents you got in with that guy? I mean, that Bud. was another, that was, so that was when I realized I had to get sober and that was a different realization, but that happened, I think right after the trial, the boating accidents. And I was still drinking. How close together were they? I mean, it was really like the end of the trial and then it was like the summer that happened that summer. I was still kind of drinking all the time, but I had these realizations, with but I wasn't. Bud. Yeah, well, I wasn't ready to. I wasn't ready for the next phase. Yeah, but I knew the next phase had to come. You always I, have that transition. I knew what it was. Yeah. So I was drinking, and I think it was two in the morning. We we're out on his boat, a very small boat, and we just hit an island. And I get thrown out of the boat. Hit an island. I hit like one of these little marshes. Yeah. In in uh, you know in uh, where were we? We were. In Jones Beach Bay kind of area. And what were you drinking then? What was your drink? Vodka Rocks. I used yeah. to love martinis, gin martinis, beef eater martinis, vodka rocks, a few shots of Jack Daniels. I mean, garbage oh, head. Anything. Anything. Yeah. Little weed, yeah. pack of whatever I was smoking at the time, Marlboro Reds, Lights, Newports, yeah. who cares? <laughs> uh, and then just, I got thrown on this island and I, I, and I was just like, I could have been paralyzed. It could have been anything, but I was so drunk. I just, you know, I didn't tense up any of my muscles. I just literally got flown out of the. You know, How thrown. fast were you guys going? Fast enough where I was never a small guy and I was thrown out of this boat. Yeah. So fast enough. Yeah. 50 maybe. When you landed, were you dying laughing? Were you, did you think it was hilarious? or was I it woke up and it was like I was in an egret's nest and it was surrounded by egrets. Shut your mouth. Swear to God. You know, we were on some government property we shouldn't have been on. We're yeah. some fucking sanctuary that we had, you know. Sure. The Egrets were staring at us like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. They were looking at us like, you people are not where change. you should be. Yeah, make a change. And the second boating accident. <laughs> How many know. people have ever said that? That's when you know you have a problem. So the second, so I went back out on the boat with him in the daytime. So I'm like, well, it's not the middle of the night. We're in the day. Yeah. We crash into the piling of a bridge. And I jump what? off the boat. We crash into the piling of a bridge, and I jump How off the boat. How big of a bridge? The huge bridge. And the piling is like, you know, Hold the on. thing. Hold on, are we talking yeah. like a fucking, you know, Brooklyn bridge? No, 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 no. We're talking of... about like a uh, picture an overpass on a parkway. Okay, and but under it is water. Like a sailboat could get underneath it? With, with a certain size mast. Sure. So thanks for the specificity. Well, it's it's hard to know what people know. I just imagine it's like it's a small. It's not the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. It's yeah, not right. the GW. It's a bridge that connects. You know, it's probably you know, you know. Either way, the pylons are got to be spaced out for boats to get through in the middle. Yeah, yeah. No, they're it's big enough where you look at the bridge and be like, fuck. You hit that? We hit it. We hit it going like 30, 40 miles an hour. And by the way, the speed limit was five going through the bridge. Yeah. It's like five miles an hour. It's a wake zone. Right. So but was if you looked at this bridge, would you, would you be like, how did you hit that thing? Yes. Right? Yes, because he sped up to 
get through it instead of slowing down. Yeah. And we hit it and we jumped off and I kind of got cut. And my back was kind of bleeding. And then he looked at me. He looked at my eyes. He goes, you got to stop hanging out with me. And I said, why? And he goes, because I'm trying to kill myself. Sure. And that <laughs> kind of landed. I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably correct. Yeah. I bet he's right. I bet he's not lying. Yeah. I bet that's not a joke. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I get it. Because he was just wild guy. He was a lot of fun. I mean, his kids were fun, too. Yeah. But he was really was he wild. married the whole time or divorced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Married, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, wild people. Yeah. You know, these, these are the people that, you know, again, these Long Island people that are like, you had to hang out. Back in that period of my life, I was hanging out with people that were like non-judgmental. Anybody that was like, what are you doing? Was like, you're out. Yeah. People were like, yeah, cool, man. I'm like, I'm losing my house. I'm, yeah. I'm in mortgages. Yeah. I'm drunk every day. I smoke a pack of cigarettes. I'm this weird, sexually ambiguous, loud person. And yeah. they were like, great. That sounds like a character. Do you think the whole time you were just looking for people that you could come out to? Or was it not? I don't know. Concern? You know, here's the thing I think part of it is that when you're a liar, yeah. you're a liar. It's not. Sexuality is a big part of it, but I was an alcoholic before I like drank probably, and I didn't know it. I was just the personality of like whatever substance I was gonna I was gonna discover. It mm -hmm. was gonna be a problem because I was still the kid that was putting on a show mm -hmm. at six, going look at me, love me, validate me. So the kid, that guy, when he has his first drink, smokes his first joint, does his first line of coke. That guy, in many cases, is going to end up being the guy that I was for a while, which is a liar and an addict. And you just, you're looking for people that allow you to be that, that see the good in you. Because mm -hmm. addicts are not all bad, but they're liars. And some of them are thieves, yeah. and they're not good to the people around. So you're looking for a support system that allows you to be that type of person, and that's what it is. Like that's what I think it is. You know, it's like they see the good in you, even though you're bad. They see some good in you, some redeeming quality in you. They're, you know, they enable you to an extent, but more than that, they're like. You know, you're a lost soul, but you're a soul too. Yeah. So you, those are the people I think that I, I kind of surrounded myself with. Gotcha. You yeah. know? Yeah. And that was like, and I saw the same thing in them. I was like, these are also people that have lots of problems. But at the end of the day, they are, there's good there. There's stuff about them that's interesting, that's fun, that's, you know, honorable. Yeah. And to some degree. I mean, these people would help me out no matter what happened. Run from the cops. Yeah, go on our, you know, they didn't care, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure if it came down with it, they'd also throw me over a bridge and they'd yeah. sell me out if they needed to. But I or mean, drive you into one. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, you got to expect that. There's a, there's a folk singer I like by name Dar Williams, and she goes, I don't do things for the moral of the story. She goes, I probably should. Maybe she quoted this. I don't know if this is her. She goes, I don't do things for the moral of the story. She goes, I do them for the story. Yeah. And I think a lot of the friends that I had at that particular point in my life, they were just people that when you went out with them, you knew that something crazy was going to happen and that nobody that night was going to have to deal with anything 
that they fucking was eating them up. You could just get away from all of it. Yeah. These people would, you'd all put yourselves in a wild situation, whether you're going out and training, whether you're crashing into a Brit, like whatever you're doing, you're, you're taking a vacation. You're on vacation. Yeah. Vacation from life. Vacation from life. Or reality or. From reality. And those, those are, you have a lot of fun with those people. But the problem is you can't, Stay on vacation forever No of course <laughs> I mean You know yeah. yeah And I think the vacation started You know When I quit Acting Yeah And started doing drugs Well yeah I started I started I bought the, the reality I bought the ticket I'm like okay I can just lie I can And then Years later The lies had They were physical things The lie was a house the yeah. lie was a Chevy Suburban I couldn't afford. Yeah. The lie was a boat heading into a bridge. Like I had manifested all my crazy, you know, anxiety and depression and all these crazy things and my absolute refusal to deal and engage with the world honestly had resulted in all these crazy real world consequences. Now there's a plot of land that I own because I'm hiding in it. Yeah. It's crazy. So then I think at a certain point, you have two choices. You can be that guy forever, and some people are, or you have to run the other way. Well, you're going to start trying to kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You you be that guy forever, however that matters, or you run the other way. And I ran the other way. Yeah. And thank God I found comedy because that helped me run. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's. I feel like that's an answer to a lot of com comedians. Yeah. They found it even though it was probably looking for him the whole time, you know? Yeah, and I think that I probably needed a creative outlet. Yeah. And I, I found it again at 25. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did, buddy. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming on here and uh, chatting. Yes. What an uplifting... It is in an odd way. Of course it is. It has an uplifting angle. Yeah, you have to just see it and be willing to find the positive. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for having you me. You got it, buddy. What did I say? What did I say? I said, hey, you're going to love Tim Dillon. You ever see that Seinfeld? I tell everyone, go see Jerry's show. You see, it's like I said. I said Tim Dillon was going to be great. What a great episode. I love Tim Dillon. I love him to death. He's so he's so awesome. Um, and how insane is that? <laughs> how insane is that story about him being on that jury? So much fun. I, I love him to death. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Tim Dillon, Tim J. Dillon on Twitter and Instagram. Check out his website, timdillon.com or timjdillon.com. And go check him out wherever you can see him. He's fantastic. Thank you guys so much for listening. Next week is going to be another great episode. Um, Ira Glass, we talk about storytelling. You know, I, I, I was so intrigued with this story with Tim. I was like, what a great way to roll right into more storytelling with Ira Glass, who has such a knowledge of what storytelling is and where it comes from. So check us out next week, uh, Throughline Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening.